Hi, I'm Amira Khalid, and I'm the creator and host of Inspiring UA Women, the one and only podcast focused on female leaders in the United Arab Emirates. I enjoy meeting and talking to female leaders and finding out how they charted their path to professional success. In my show, Inspiring UA Women, I will be interviewing and shining the spotlight on a diverse group of female leaders in the UAE and inspire women in the region with their success stories. everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast and if you do, please subscribe and leave your comments and ratings on iTunes and Spotify. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast or Instagram at IUAEW Podcast. You can also email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com to get in touch. My guest today is Her Excellency Dr. Hawa Al-Mansouri, first of a new generation of UAE nationals to specialize in a career in medicine. Dr. Hawa is a member of the UAE Federal National Council, Deputy Medical Director of Imperial College London Diabetes Center, Executive Director at Department of Intramural Research Abu Dhabi Stem Cell Center, Consultant Endocrinologist, Healthcare Executive, Inventor and Entrepreneur. She was the first Emirati to be awarded a prestigious presidential scholarship to study medicine in the United States. She went on to become the first non-American woman to graduate from George Washington University School of Medicine. In 2014, she received the UAE Pioneers Award from His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum and was presented at the UAE Government Summit by His Highness Sheikh Mansour bin Zayed Al Nahyan as an example of success in education and innovation. In addition to her UA government role, Dr. Hawa is a chairman of Sonostic LLC, a venture stage medtech company founded to commercial her patented and FDA-approved invention. She also works for Mubadala as Deputy Director of Imperial College London Diabetes Center and is a practicing endocrinologist. She is a regular presenter at high-profile forums both in the UAE and internationally as a speaker, chairperson, and master of ceremonies. Dr. Hawa is involved in UAE initiatives to promote STEM education, empower Emirati women, and encourage enterprise by Emirati youth. Thank you so much for joining me on my show, Dr. Hawa. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I would like to start the interview by going back to the beginning. What drove your interest in science and subsequently medicine? I suppose my earliest memory of liking science was when my mom bought me, or actually my parents bought me the Encyclopedia Britannica, which nowadays is not very much in circulation. It was a book series of encyclopedia versus, you know, Wikipedia nowadays. And I remember opening the page on the human anatomy and it was kind of like see-through pages. It was like, and they were on top of each other, eventually you know, forming the human body. And every time you would peel off a page, you would see another layer of the human body. And I remember, you know, I was looking at my mom in awe and I was saying, you know, mommy, mommy, is all of this in inside of me? And I think really that's where it came from. And the fact that my parents encouraged my questions and why and how and and everything, everything from space, you know, why is the moon where the moon is? And I remember very stimulating conversations with my parents about everything. They had the patience, encourage an inquisitive child. I think that's where it first sprung. So taking a walk down memory lane, you were one of the first non-American women to graduate from George Washington University School of Medical and Health Sciences in the U.S. What was that experience like overall and why George Washington in particular? 
I always pride in myself on being um, absolutely honest, uh, whether that be in interviews or otherwise. So the, the true answer to that, it was a twist of fate. I like to share the story to show people that it's okay to fail and just to persevere because the truth is that I applied to 31 medical schools. No one ever asks me about the other 30. The, the answer to that is they refused me. They rejected me on the basis of the fact that I wasn't an American citizen, which is not unusual. Medical schools reserve most of their seats for American citizens, or at least someone who has a green card. So this is not unusual. So 30 schools rejected me on this basis. And one school gave me an interview. The school that gave me an interview was George Washington Medical School. When I was about to graduate, I didn't know that I was the first female non-American to graduate from GW Medical School. So that was actually a surprise. I didn't know that. As for my experience there, I remember it fondly. That doesn't mean that it was easy. <laughs> It was exciting, but it was also a very humbling experience. I was always that annoying student that could cram for an exam and score really high. People think that I read continuously, which I did, but I usually read things that interested me. It wasn't necessarily um, what's on the exam. Whatever was on the exam, I read just before I crammed for it, and then I did very well. Well, that went out the window in medical school because of the sheer amount of information you had to not only understand, you had to memorize. So I remember it as a very fun, very friendship-forming experience. I have some very good friends remaining from my medical school and residency days, and very humbling in that I reached the limits of uh, quote-unquote cramming. What are your thoughts about women and education in general? How important do you think it is to see women in all fields? The general impression is that you see women picking up softer qualifications. But what are your thoughts on women pushing the boundaries and picking up more specialist qualifications and entering all sectors in the region? This region is known for giving um, women the opportunities to go in any field. The door is open. The sky's the limit. There's no such thing as, you know, this specialty cannot have a woman in it. On the contrary, we're encouraged to do so. Um, my opinion on it is pretty obvious. I think if any woman or man, for that matter, it's in their heart and they really love a field. No matter what the field is, if it's in the arts, sciences, um, as long as you really love it, go for it. And because that's when you become really good at it. My only concern is when I see students being pushed into a field because of either their friends or their family. That's not the bad thing. I'll also encourage my kids to go maybe in the sciences because I just love science. But if it's really not in that child's heart and interest, I really believe that eventually either they will not be as happy or maybe not as successful. So I think it's really important to give that child or teenager or whatever it might be the, the open field to experience and then to choose in the end on their own, because that's frankly, it's going to be their life. That's what they're going to be doing almost every single day. So I think it's only fair that they have a certain affinity, a certain liking to it. You touched upon the fact that there are so many opportunities, both for women and men within the UA, but since the subject matter is women specifically, what do you think women in this region are doing so well that we have come so far? And what should we continue to do and how can we improve and push our boundaries even further in the future? I'm going to go back also a little bit into the previous question, because this kind of connects nicely to this question, which is, what does a woman bring to any field? You bring your experience. You bring your perspective, you bring your opinion, your point of view, your emotions. So I think the more varied 
the people in any field, the more enriching it is, and which, of course, a woman or women in general are a big part. And it's only fair also because, as, as is always said here in the UAE and elsewhere, a woman is, uh, most in most places, almost half of society. So uh, it's important for that part of society to be represented. In terms of what we do well, what we do well is that we have a lot of enthusiasm. I think we are very brave. I think that we understand that there is no limit. I think that we've already proven ourselves. So so a lot of interviewers ask me, you know, what do we have to do to prove ourselves? I'm, I'm of the opinion that we've already done that. We've already proven that we can do basically anything we put our minds to. That's already like, that's well and done. Now what's next? What's next is to perhaps have more numbers in certain fields, perhaps encourage girls from an early age to go into fields that maybe they wouldn't think of, catching them earlier, whether that is in grade school or high school, to come and open the horizons further. Because a lot of fields, by the nature of the field, you don't even hear about until you're in college. And by then it's maybe too late or it'll take a long time to kind of switch specialties or, you know, things like that. So I think that's where the women in the field can do better in that introducing their sisters, their younger sisters, the next generations to these fields earlier so that if there is an interest, they can start earlier. I think that's a really big, important thing. I think that's the direction of the future because proving it, we've already done that. It's uh, advancing it further, increasing the numbers and getting the next generations interested sooner. I agree with you 100%. Women are heading forward in the right direction. But because my objective with this is to be positive yet thought-provoking, I want to take a step back and ask you, did you ever encounter the proverbial glass ceiling uh, throughout your prestigious career? The honest answer is yes. The surprising answer is where or in what situations, to be more specific, different people, different experiences. So in my path to where I am, it wasn't in academia. In academia, I didn't feel any glass ceiling. It was basically you picked your specialty, you had the grades, you got in. Um, Sometimes it is, you know, a little bit of getting to know them and them getting to know you, fine. But I didn't feel the opportunities were much different. And mind you, I did my education here in the UAE and then in the United States. So I have a you know varied experience. So I can honestly say that in academia, I didn't feel there was a difference. Where I could face a bit of resistance, I think the best wording for it is, is actually in maybe work, in meetings where very strange things would come up, uh, which kind of took me aback because I, I'm not used to it. And sometimes it was not meant in, in a very, in a suppressive way, it wasn't meant to be disrespectful, but it kind of came across as that. I saw a um, patient and a physician who had accidentally seen my chart or my chart writing actually took an effort and came into my office and gave me a huge compliment in his mind. Uh, he said, oh my goodness, I saw this chart and my God, you know, for, for a female physician, you're really good. So again, that was um, that was a little bit of a thank you moment (laughs) where I chose to take it as a positive, but you heard the wording of the sentence. It was a little bit of, yeah, what do you mean by that? So the advice I would give is choose to deal with it positively. I don't mean don't bring it up. I mean, don't be very negative, very aggressive. Don't try to show anger to this individual who actually meant it well misguidedly so, but meant it well. Take the positive, leave the negative and show them a positive shining example. It's hard. Sometimes, you know, that nerve gets hit and you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? You have to really choose when you actually point it out and when you don't. And that is an art. 
And that is something that still women do face. I don't always believe it's intentional. Sometimes it is intentional, but in my experience, 99 out of 100, it's actually not intentional. It doesn't decrease the amount of negativity. I'm not taking away from that or that it's you know acceptable. It's not. But I'm just giving advice on how to deal with it, how to re-educate. I consider it an opportunity for me to re-educate the individual and saying, okay, well, now he's learned that we can be that good. So that'll maybe change his perspective or behavior towards other female physicians. Now, if I would have jumped up and screamed at him, I would have taken away every positive thing from his learning experience. So I always try to control my emotions and look at it from what is the goal I want to achieve. Okay, if I've achieved my goal of improving his interaction with other female physicians, well, then why would I turn it into a negative? Why would I get angry? I've already achieved my goal. It's small steps. People don't change overnight. It takes one little step after another. And I choose to be a positive force for that. I think grace is the way to go forward. Grace. You need to take it in stride and with grace. And because we're talking about grace, and this is something I think about a lot, because women have had to work slightly harder to come out on top, our survival instincts, I feel, are better honed. And as a result, female leaders sometimes tend to be more competitive and less on the mentoring side. How important do you think it is to act as a mentor and nurture that next generation of female leaders or female colleagues under you? I like your questions. You're hitting the nail on the head. We're so busy sometimes proving ourselves. We're so busy. We're so absorbed in that, you know, I got to be better. I got to prove myself that we forget to mentor others. Also, we forget to enjoy it. I reached a level of maturity where I realized I had already proven it to the one person that mattered, me. I've proven it to myself. So then I stopped having the need to prove it to others, men or women. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I've stopped needing that. And we all go through the phases, uh, you know, at the beginning of our careers and our education, we all have something to prove. But the real question we need to ask ourselves, who are you proving it to? So once you reach the point where you're convinced, oh, yeah, I can do it. If I wanted to do anything, I could do it. Do I need to convince the person in front of me? No. <laughs> So that is the moment, that aha moment, when you can relax, when you can stop being, I guess, a bit more aggressive and take a pause and look at what you really want to do, A, B, enjoy it more because you're not so focused on one target thing, and C, look around and see how you can benefit others. I'm not, in medicine, for example, I'm not talking just about treating patients. I'm talking about maybe even um, education, public health. Take a moment and see where you can go to speak to people to have the most effect. Think about those medical students. How would they benefit from your experience? You could just go talk to them. Just talking to these kids opens their eyes to so much and giving them something honest. You're honest, not just, you know, the aggressive, be better than others, get higher grades. No, no, no. I mean, the real, <laughs> the hardships of being a physician, seeing a patient ill or even dying and then taking on that responsibility, these things, you live with them for the rest of your life. Again, this is not to be negative. It's a wonderful field and it's exciting, but it's important to give the future generations, future females, the truth about the field they'll be going in, no matter what the field, in order for them to make the right decisions, in order for them to then excel, hopefully, in their field and to be happy. Because that's important. If you love what you do, you will be better at it.
uh, since we're talking about mentors, uh, my next question would be, is there a woman who has always inspired you? And who is that? Tell us a little bit about that woman. I suppose my biggest inspiration was always my mom. Um, she was the one that fed that curiosity. The, the one I mentioned at the beginning of the interview when I was, uh, I think I was five years old. I still remember our conversations. I still remember me asking her mom, what is space? Uh, mom, how come the earth is just hanging there? <laughs> I didn't have a concept of depth. I just couldn't. It was on a piece of paper and I just couldn't get it. I still remember hours. The patience my mother showed, God bless her hours of discussing just that one point. So I, I think she is my idol in, in many ways, in patience and perseverance. And, and also it wasn't easy for her. I'm an only child. And I traveled abroad when I was 18, all on my own. I'm now a mom of two. And when I imagine that, <laughs> I, I get chest pain just thinking about it. I don't know if I could be strong enough to let my girls go totally on their own at 18 after living in such a family environment. I suppose, first and foremost, it would be my mom. How do you find that balance between having a family, being a mom, and leading an organization? What do you advise to other women out there, other mothers out there in the same position? You can do it. That's my advice. Um, I remember I had an interview and it was a live interview and the reporter asked me, out of all of your roles, you know, member of parliament, deputy director of uh, Imperial College, uh, a consultant endocrinologist, uh, et cetera, et cetera, what is the toughest role? It came out so naturally. I go, mom. <laughs> Mom is my toughest role, uh, but my message to everyone is it's very possible. Not only that, you can actually thrive because if you're excited in your day-to-day -day work, you come home excited and you come home energized and you bring that home with you. Also, it's important to have a partner that is supportive and, and God has blessed me with a partner that is not only supportive, is actually proud of me and what I do. Also, uh, I have to say this. I mean, being from the UAE and in the UAE, that is something that actually people admire. You know, one might think that, oh, you know, you're a mom and you're doing all these, all of these things, you'd be judged that you're not as good of a mom. I have to tell you, it's on the contrary. Everyone's like, wow, you're doing that and being an awesome mom? That's awesome. You go, girl. You know, there's that genuine, like, excitement and support. And I have even friends, uh, girlfriends that tell me, listen, if you ever need me to babysit, I'm in, you know, <laughs> I'm a stay at home. I'd love to, you know, they can play with my kids, you know, just as a sign of support. Or even others that say, you know, leave your kids with us. You know, you and your hubby go on a vacation. You deserve it. You work, you work hard. The society here is fantastic. I mean, everything from leadership to the job to society and friends. I, I'm quite blessed on many levels. And for the record, when His Highness chose me for um, being a member of parliament, I was actually very pregnant. I was about, I think, eight months pregnant <laughs> when we had the conversation. So, you know, it was pretty obvious that I'm very pregnant. So, again, leadership is very supportive of having that work-life balance and uh, having children is in no way seen as a negative not at all being a female leader do you think that there are any characteristics that are unique to being a female leader that sort of stand out from a male leader or male counterpart and if so what are some unique characteristics that women need to work on or build to reach that position in my experience, step forward more often. Believe it or not, I'm naturally an introvert. I don't like crowds. I don't necessarily like to give speeches. <laughs> I was that quiet person in the room that if it was needed, I would speak, but I would not be the one to volunteer. Obviously, as a leader in difficult situations, especially, you need to step up. 
and you need to highlight yourself. I think women have a difficulty in highlighting themselves. They can be leaders, but sometimes they are a bit quiet. And the honest truth is, if you don't show your abilities, if someone doesn't, let's, let's say you walk into a room, it's full of people, you're, you're in a board meeting, and they don't really know you, right? And they want to assess whether or not you can become a leader. If you don't speak and highlight yourself, like even if you just introduce yourself on your CV, women, in my experience, 99 out of 100, don't give the highlights of their CV. Men, mashallah, they will go through the list. And by the time he's done, he's like, wow, okay, I, I should have said what he said. Uh, I guess, I don't know if it's humbleness or we don't have as much skill in highlighting ourselves. And I think that's really important, whether you're in business, whether you're in the medicine, academia, it doesn't matter. It's important to be able, when needed, obviously, I'm not saying it's arrogance. I'm saying just highlighting your abilities and skills and being seen more. It's important because if we want to progress in any institution, whether it's in, in business or otherwise, you need to be highlighting yourself. They need to be seeing you, hearing you. They need to know that you have the abilities. You can't be in the background and have someone notice you by accident. That might work, but you know, most of the time you need to actually step forward and highlight yourself. And this reminds me of an incident in the past, quite early on in my career. I remember talking to a male colleague and we're both looking at this vacancy online and sitting down and going to the job description. And I kept thinking to myself, oh my God, I don't meet this criteria. Like I don't have this, I don't have this. I don't meet any item on this checklist. My male counterpart had similar experience, a similar academic background, and he just went ahead and he applied for it. And I asked him this question. I said, how are you doing this? How are you able to muster this confidence and he said i'm gonna give it a shot i mean i don't know about you but you know what if what if i get in and i kept thinking to myself that was a learning moment for me that men just accept and with confidence they move forward whether they might win or not women we spend so much time criticizing ourselves yeah we're more self-critical to this day i have a weakness in that i mean now that i'm known people just know that i'm good at certain things i don't need to highlight it as much anymore but i still admit even at high level of discussions and things like that other people are more i find them more daring almost is the word i would choose is that they believe in themselves more. Another thing that's important is really having the right people around you that help you believe in yourself. That might sound silly, but it's actually true. I, I say always that there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And I'm very careful not to cross that line. But there's nothing wrong with saying I'm better at A, B, C, and D versus someone else. And I'm not as, as good as someone else in something. There's nothing wrong with that. And it took me a long time to realize the difference. I was always taught that saying, you know, you're better is bad, but actually it's not. If it's true, it's not. <laughs> and and I should be more confident saying so. And, and someone that's really supported me a lot is again, my husband, my partner. He has even verbalized to me, honey, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And it's okay to say that you're better at this than someone else. With that, Dr. Hawa, my last question to you would be, what three pieces of advice would you offer aspiring professional women? First of all, don't shy away from mentors, female or male. To be fair, I've had many male mentors that I remember fondly and whom I think without their advice and guidance, I wouldn't be where I am. So don't shy away from someone that might have the information. However, my second advice is if you think someone is a mentor and they start shooting you down, they start discouraging you, realize that maybe they're not the right person. Choose the right people. 
My third piece of advice would be, uh, this is not my quote, I believe it's a really old one, but basically the quote is, shoot for the moon, because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And I really believe in that, and I think we should just go for it. Dr. Hawa, thank you so much again for being on my show. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inspiring UA Women podcast. I really enjoyed talking to Dr. Hawa about her journey and experiences as a female leader. I especially liked her advice on dealing with negative comments with a positive attitude and the importance of women highlighting their leadership skills. If you'd like to reach out to me, feel free to connect with me on Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, on Instagram at IUAEW Podcast, or email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com. See you next week.